Hello and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Davis. I'm Benjamin Holden. You're so annoying. <laughs> I, I, I just said to Ben, I was like, because I introduced the podcast, and it's just like a rhythm that we have. And then for ages, he just sits there and stares at me. And I'm just like, are you actually going to say something? I'm just taking it how beautiful you are. <laughs> I've got I a, hate that so much, you know. I've got a... I've not said anything. <laughs> I've got a diet, diet Pepsi Max today because I've already had to yeah. drink my rain energy drink this morning because I was gasping. Early yeah. one. But when this podcast goes live, the new back to the gym slash you don't have to work out from a gym challenge is going to be live. We will leave all the links for you to find out more about the, the challenge in the show notes or if you watch on YouTube, it'll be in the description. But um, mega excited. This one's going to be really cool. Yeah, this challenge is epic. It's the Back to the Gym Challenge 2.0. And as Ben said, you don't actually have to go back to the gym. It's just obviously the hype around the gym's opening. In England. In England. The challenge starts on the 19th because we didn't want to start you balls to the walls on the 12th with too much pressure when gym's actually open. So you've got time to get yourself ready if you are going back to the gym. Challenge starts the 19th, but enrollment is open. So make sure you get yourself enrolled and join the thousands of others who are doing this challenge with yeah. us. Enrollment will actually close at 12 midnight at GMT, I think it's called. BST now. BST, sorry. BST. Yeah, British summer time. And I yeah, that, really that, feel that like summer. That 12 BST. And there was nothing else I was going to say in a comment what it was. I feel like that was our, that is our big news. We've Oh, sorry. We've the thing that I was going to say is that this is officially the biggest challenge that we launched so far. The most amount of people who have signed up prior to us even launching it. This one's yeah. going to be huge. Yeah. The thing is with the school <laughs> challenges, they're actually fucking so great. Like we're not here to run you into the ground. We're here to help you create a more sustainable and healthy lifestyle that is going to see you through like the next eight weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, and your journey is going to continue. We're not going to pick you up for two weeks, put you on 800 calories and drop you in the fucking shit. We're so transparent with our approach and we love it. And that's why the people, the people, that's why everyone really loves our challenges. Yeah, I think this one especially, I think especially for this one, with people going back to gyms again, if, you, if you're in, in England or even if you're going back to the gym somewhere else, is that the importance of us balancing the amount of volume that you're first going back into in the gym? Because it's important to know that you can't just be going back into the gym and doing an old program that you were on before. We've had 14 weeks out of gyms. It's is important. It? Yeah, it's three months. Yeah, a bit. yeah. That's off the top of my head, by the way. Quick maths. Booyah. Is um, we need to we need to balance the amount of volume that we're going to be doing in the first week and looking at this this period like a bridge program, marrying the link between home training to gym training and scaling that volume progressively over the kind of that first two to four weeks until we're able to get back to that volume that we were at previously and start to progress with strength, building t- tissue. And as a side note, you will build the tissue that you've potentially lost a lot quicker than what you did previously because of, of muscle memory, this hyper-responsive period of going back to the gyms. But we don't want to be going back in and being so sore that you just can't even get off the toilet and that you can't get in for the other sessions through the week or even get in for those sessions and train effectively and efficiently with adequate amount of volume because you're too sore. Yeah, 100%. And this is what the challenge is all about. This is what the my, co- my cool... You're so cool. My Coach School community is all about to create those positive and lasting changes on your health and fitness journey. Yeah. Today's podcast... Sorry, I've got a couple bit, bit more stuff to talk about. 
Go on then. <laughs> the podcast giveaway is still live. Yes, it is. A lot of people have actually got involved with that on the YouTube channel last week, which was was really nice to see. So again, if you want to be a part of the podcast giveaway, which is you get a Gymshark voucher, three months free on the new My Coach School app, Strength Shop bundle, a huge My Protein bundle, and also a My Coach School bundle. Indeed. So if you want to be part or in with a chance to win the following in our podcast giveaway, this isn't all in aid of us launching the YouTube channel recently is that you will need to head over to the YouTube channel, make sure that you are subscribed to the Not So Fickable Podcast YouTube channel and comment on one of the videos from April. Mm-hmm. And obviously you can double, treble, quadruple your chances of winning one of those, pri- the, the, the prize giveaway if you comment on like all of the episodes for April. So yeah, leave a review in there and you'll be in with a chance to win. Obviously on that note as well, one other thing I want to touch on which is really sad. Do you know what it is? I think it's something that's sad that's, that's happened today. It's taken a long time. I don't know. I'll give you a clue. This is me steering. Oh, Ben's car has gone back. Yeah, car. Someone came up and picked my car. It's actually a funny story because two guys just knocked on the house this morning and said, I'm here for your car. I didn't check any paperwork. They had no like uniform or anything on. I just... No, he had, a, he had a, I wouldn't say you'd wear that every day. He, he definitely had, had like a blue. He had a zippo jacket on. That's stuff. Everyone wears zippo jackets. <laughs> I when I saw him at the door, I was like, okay, he could be for the car. Well, it would have been a coincidence <laughs> if not. But he took both my BMW keys and just got off of my car, basically. So if I never hear again, there's a lot of money down the drain. Yeah, but, crime one hundred and one. My car, I've had it for two years now. It's done under ten thousand miles because we've not driven it. COVID, it's not been anywhere, has it? But I I'm not getting another car again because I've got. I think. Oh no! Did you bin my micro scooter? Ben, you binned your own. No, it didn't. wasn't even micro. It just, it wasn't electric. It was just, just a scooter. <laughs> yeah, it was a push along one. I really enjoyed it in the summer. I like to put yeah, my headphones in the scooter. Yeah, we get a new one. one. You can get me a new one. I did get you that other one. Okay, well, you get me <laughs> one. If you see me whizzing past anyone on a micro scooter, say hi. Just say hi. Yeah. yeah that's because my car's gone back and I'm too poor to buy another one. Oh, hilarious. But yeah, we're going to dive into today's podcast and. <laughs> I have actually taken, just like we did last week, because I thought it was a really interesting episode, and I think a lot of other people did, in regard to touching on some various topic topics and not just dedicating it to one. So I've got, um, again, a couple of questions that have come in over the past week through Instagram, and I think these ones are really relevant and will really resonate with a lot of people. I've made most of the notes in regards to the questions, so I'm going to fire the first one over to Lucy. And I think this one's important for those who haven't heard it potentially on the podcast before. And I think it's a really important thing for a lot of people to think about. And it is, what is your fitness journey and how did it start? So where, take, take us back to where your fitness journey really, or why you got into lifting, I'd say more so. Yeah, that's literally, so I did the lift campaign with Gymshark and that's what it was all about. The, like, why do you lift? Oh, Gymshark athlete, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. So in terms of my fitness journey I feel like people know it quite well now because it's a little bit different I guess than rather than just starting a gym can I just change the question slightly Mm. what is your ECC your emotionally charged connection which which kicked off why you got into lifting I'd say that part in the story I'll pinpoint it so I had always been a super sporty kid I'm talking like ridiculously sporty from like the age of two I think my so my mum actually told me yesterday because I was having this conversation she was like you your dad bought you your first pair of skis at two 
I How was do like, you even do ski boots for a two-year-old? They're, they're, they're little boots and you kind of strap the boot, the skis on. They're not like clipping. Anyway. But, I, I just imagine they're like two lollipops like sticking underneath your feet. I was quite a large two-year-old. I was bigger than Meg when she was like three. I was like a, <laughs> I was like a little Hercules or something. Anyway, I've always been well into sports, super sporty. I started swimming when I was about three or four, you know, just having swimming lessons. And I never kind of stopped swimming. So from the ages of 10 to 18... I just I chose swimming at the age of 10 over gymnastics. I swam competitively probably from the age of 10 and then seriously from the age of 14 to 18 where I swam for GB, I swam internationally, trained nine times a week, everything under the sun. When I was 18, I quit swimming the week after British Champ. So a week after the London trials for the London 2012 Olympics, I quit. Um there's a massive story behind that and that's not really relevant to why I started fitness but I wanted to get the idea that I was like a super competitive swimmer in terms of that environment and that relationship with food it was it was awful I look back on it now I'm like it's actually so poor you have a nutritionist they tell you this they tell you that and but they just sat there over your shoulder saying what's good what's bad you can't do this you can't do that I was really tiny tiny when I swam I was super muscular I've always been like a mesomorph athletic physique but I was super tiny and we had our body fat measured every three weeks so my ECG is it ECC or ECC? ECC emotionally charged connection emotionally co- charged connection it was at a competition I think we were in London I can't quite remember I can't remember if it was abroad or not and we all had our uh, body fats taken in like the room together and it was a bit weird because we used to do them on our own with the nutritionist it's a bit weird that you're just lined yeah. up getting body fat done together yeah basically we were just we in our costumes like you know is that stuff is would that kind of thing still be done now yeah one thousand so percent getting your body calipers done get, i was all weighed lined up together though that's like no that i think that's because we were competing we yeah. were all together and the nutritionist was there um yeah we'd get weighed before and after every session everything was kind of controlled we had our body fats done and my body fats were so low. Like, I mean, that they were just so low. I, I found it really, really hard to put weight on. Like, we trained nine times a week just in the pool for two and a half hours. And then there was, like, six gym sessions, six land training sessions. It's ridiculous. You're expending so much energy. And I was trying to eat enough, and I physically couldn't eat enough. And <laughs> your skin folds as a girl are supposed to be the same as your weight. So at the time, I was about 57 kilograms so skin folds should have been 57 however my skin folds were 21 which is literally half and one of the girls just shouted out oh my god lucy you're so anorexic and for me it was kind of like a trigger in terms of like do i have a bad relationship with food is there something not quite right am i underweight i left that and i just like burst into tears carried on swimming for like the next two months hated it quit not because of that I quit because I didn't want to do it anymore and I wasn't enjoying it and also I wasn't good enough genuinely with that sport you get to a certain degree I came fifth needed to come second you you physically I could not carry on anymore and from then I went straight to uni instantly obsessed with fitness instantly doing so much cardio faster cardio weights everything because I'd done so much when I swam it just kind of transitioned I then developed an eating disorder because I had a super bad relationship with food. So this was all first year of uni. Just an all-round bad relationship with food and exercise. Wanting to be really, really skinny. Wanting a thigh gap. And then I just started posting on Instagram. You know, for accountability. A few little... Propping up my phone. Body transformation images. 
and literally the rest is history. I managed to get over my eating disorder. I got my PT calls really early on. So I was educating myself every day. And that's where it came about. So it came about from something super bad. I think it was, it was a yes, bad, was bad time. That was my ECC. And that is my nice. fitness journey. <clears throat> Very nice. And that's why I love lifting so much because it's so empowering. I've, I think it's important. And it's, it's sometimes hard for people to find it because I've asked this question to people before. Most people usually have an ECC. They just don't know what it is. Mine is simple. I think I spoke about it before on the podcast. And yeah. it was that time when those night pro tops came out and i went with my dad to get one of the night pro tops i was buzzing because i saw like ronaldo in it and he's looking saucy <laughs> i was like i want to look like that <clears throat> however when i went to the shop my dad to get it came back must have been like 14 i remember putting it on came downstairs feeling like an absolute fucking hero walked into the front room and people were just laughing at me and my mum was like you look like a bag of bones <laughs> and that was for me it was like i took the top off and i don't think i ever wore it again <laughs> Because I felt like shitting, and that was like that. That was the time yeah. I thought, right? I actually want to start lifting now because I mm. don't feel. I didn't realize it, but I didn't feel that confident in the way that looked. I'd been playing footy for years, and to be honest, I wasn't really asked. Yeah. But that was like my ECC, and when I started lifting, and why I started lifting, I don't blame my mum for it. I actually probably thank thank, her, thank her for. In some ways, it's what got me into lifting mm. and what got me into the career that I'm in now. But from there, I got really obsessed with bodybuilding, and like year on year, I just wanted to be a house. I just wanted to be bigger and bigger. Then I you were very large. Everything was. I would, no, I, large. I never started that way though. Like that, that's the thing for me genetically. I'm very. Oh no, as in, I'm sorry, very yeah, slim. You did. Like even if you look at the, often you can look at different parts of people's bodies. Like I've got quite thin wrists and quite thin ankles. Usually you'll see some people who like put on muscle like no <laughs> one's biz- business. They have quite girthy wrists and quite girthy hands. That doesn't come on by the way. And I'm more, I'm genetically a skinny guy. So it took me a long time to build tissue, but I got to a point where I was like, I wanted to compete. So I remember I competed in my first men's physique show. I actually put a post about it this week mm. and I realized from there, it wasn't really for me. Didn't really enjoy the whole prep, had to sacrifice too much of my life. I was like... I think that's where my disorderly eating first started, even though I didn't know it. it was way back then, probably like what must have been like nine years ago now? Yeah. Ten, was... Nine, eight years ago. I really didn't realise it started then, but that's when we just sort of and started after that because of the whole bodybuilding culture of like basically underfeeding yourself for and then a restriction by followed binge. by massive binges. So that's why the, the bodybuilding community for me sometimes promote it or some, some people within that industry do promote that kind of toxic relationship with exercise and food and that's where mine really started and didn't realize and just continued and continued and spiraled out of control from there and that's why i'd never go back and do another show is because i now have those tendencies of disorderly eating and that's massively highlighted by that sport i think it's a and i'm always still asked now oh you've got such a great physique for competing i'm actually as the years have gone on i'm actually pretty damn against competing I don't think it's healthy at all it to dep- get It depends to how you do it, though, because some people can do it in a more healthy way. And it, it's the people who usually, like, show on, show on, show on, show year on, year on, year, who, who oh, batter yeah. their bodies. There is healthier yeah, ways yeah. you can do it. That's why some people take the hashtag, like, off-seasons, because they let their body sit at, like, a healthier state. They'll kind of just focus on building tissue. And that's healthier from both a physiological and a, um, a psychological point of view as well because you're giving your time, yourself some time to rest and enjoy some foods and stuff through the year again. So I think there is healthier ways that you can do it. However, for me, I just wouldn't go back into it just due to those those reasons. And that's, I kind of went through a stage of CrossFit and then 
I just dabbled in different bits as the years gone on. And now I just enjoy banging gym, slamming Nando's. That's that's my kind of ethos. I mean, by the moment, I'm just enjoying getting thick. Love that. So that's my ECC. If if anyone's listening as well and the the tune into the YouTube channel, I'd love to see what people some people's ECC is. If you want to yeah. if you want to drop, drop it in the comments, that'd be really cool because I actually do go through all the comments on the the YouTube channel as well. Yeah. So just to remind you, it's your emotionally charged connection. So something that what kind sparked of, you lifting? Yeah. What was the catalyst? Like what what was the tick? The spark? I got you got into you into it. Mm-hmm. Really cool question. So give you something to think about. Into the next question, number two. I think this is a really interesting one, actually. Someone asked, do we need to do 10K steps per day for progress? I mean, Do you want me to dive in or do you want to go in first? I don't have much to say. I think you have okay. more to say on this than me. A little so bit, yeah. I think, like, for progress, it completely depends on your goal. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, getting outside and walking is great. It's just great. You know, it's great for your overall health. It's great for your mental health. It's good to be in the fresh air and not stuck inside on your phone. So for that aspect, I think that is absolutely fantastic. I think the whole 10K mark obviously kind of came around through social media. I'll tell you exactly where it came from. Okay. I Just one more point. No, yeah, no, that's what we can do. I'll tell you in a minute where it actually <laughs> um, came from. And I do believe it's a pretty nice target to aim for. And I know mm. people enjoy targets. They like targets. Yeah, 100%. And if someone says like I I cannot hit that a day I've, I've like I'm in the office all day, I know you can. Like I we are constantly at our laptops, and we have been throughout lockdown. Like we literally yeah. move and we've made the effort. Sometimes it's just making that extra effort, you know, to hit your steps. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And, and and maybe you can't hit ten k, and that's fine. Just set yourself like eight or something. Don't feel too pressured to hit the the ten k because it's like a very social media number. But I do think it is a doable number. I think it's a nice rounded number. Yeah, the thing it was interesting because I put this up on story yesterday. I remember I was walking up and down the the kitchen slash lounge mm. because I I was low on steps, and I asked the question like, "Does anyone else do this sometimes?" And there was a few people who got back to me and said, "I actually have an office job, and sometimes I don't have a chance to go out and stuff, so I'll just pace up and down the room." I think it's quite effective sometimes. Some people may think it's sad, but do do you? I sometimes think that it's effective, like when. I'm listening to something or I'm cooking something. I'll just pace up and down just to move a little bit more. Yeah. Um. I just get the juices flowing. But I think the number the number ten k steps is really become ingrained into the fit the whole fitness arena. Yeah. Like we always we always use it as almost like a marker. Of hit ten k steps, and I don't think like we've been talking then a lot of people really know where it comes from. So actually, the origin the origins of ten k steps per day target has been actually tracked back to 1965 wow 1965 when the yamasa clock and instrument company released their pedometer oh yeah pedometer the man it was called the man pokey man pokey yeah which translates to ten thousand steps meter in japanese wow okay that's where it comes from yeah so that that's where the origins 62 i feel 65 like I just feel like it wasn't. Was it? Around, I don't even remember it being around five yeah, years ago. Yeah, obviously, the, it's, it it ranges well back, and I've got a couple of different things here to why the ten k step markers is, is important from a, a number of different reasons. And there was a really cool page on on Instagram which published some research about this. It's called JPS Education. I posted on my story the other day, and there was a couple of different findings from different people. One was from um, Chiang, who found that. At least two thousand five hundred calories per week in physical activity energy expenditure is necessary for long term weight maintenance, which translates to around 
10,000 to 12,000 steps per day. Obviously, depending on your weight, age, height, sex, yeah. that's kind of like a mean average, but that's one of the reasons why it's good if you're looking to maintain weight, that's still getting that 10 to 12K steps in per day is important. And there was another piece of research done by Chromatel in 2006, and this was for post-menopausal women who took 5,000 to 7,000 steps per day, and they found that they had significantly lower BMI than those who took five, oh, who took less than 5,000 steps a day, and women who took 7,500 to 10,000 steps a day had significantly lower BMI. Yeah. Again, BMI, a lot of people kind of say, oh, it's not very accurate. BMI is very accurate. It's just got to be applied to some common sense. Yeah, So definitely. Like with BMI, I'm nearly overweight. I know I'm I'm, I'm not, but away from my, being obese. yeah, my muscle is heavy. <laughs> so you do, you do just have to understand BMI a bit more and just, un- I understand the actual physicalities when behind pe- it. When people talk about it, people bring, bring up people like, well, Arnold was classed as obese, yeah, but no one's fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger, are they? Yeah. You're not Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're not carrying that much muscle tissue. There's going to be outliers with anything. It doesn't mean that we use that as the pinnacle to, to the measurements. Then there was um, a study done by to tell which this was to do with cardiometabolic disease which found in a population at risk for type 2 diabetes that compared with the baseline step count of 2,000 daily steps step increment up to 10,000 steps was associated with a 10% lower cardiovascular event rate mm-hmm. so it help, helps with our cardiovascular disease and metabolic yeah. disease as well which is really really interesting and you are though because you're walking you're doing you're doing something so your heart is obviously being used more blood is being pumped around your body it's does it completely make sense yeah and then the last one um this was the, this is potentially the most important one for me this was by mccare to in 2009 reported that women who achieved 7,500 plus steps per day had a 50 percent lower prevalence of depression than women taking less than 5,000 steps per day and men who achieved 12,500 Plus, also had a fifty percent reduction in prevalence of depression compared to those taking less than five thousand. Yeah, and I can massively get that. I think if you're in the outdoors, you're walking around, you're taking in different scenery, you're taking in some fresh air, you're moving around and getting the creative juices flowing as well. It does wonders for your mindset. It also depends on like it doesn't always have to be, but what you fill in your ears with. And I know a lot of people listen to this podcast when they're going and doing the 10,000 steps per day, which is really why I wanted to touch on this question because I think it's very important to a lot of people. Yeah, I definitely think, like, I'm, I don't hit 10K steps for any sort of, like, body recomposition or anything like that or, like, a physical goal. I 100% hit it for my mindset. I, I, I have to get out the house. I have to go for a walk. And it's important. It's important in that way for me. Yeah, hundred percent. I think just the ten k step per day is a, is a great marker. But there's been some evidence to show that twelve is is can be um, mm-hmm. can be great as well. So that's important. However, there is a there is a point of like diminishing return. I think if you go and pass that marker, sometimes we've got to gauge that point of like when are we doing too much? Yeah, and we don't always need to blow past that. I mean, doing like twenty k because it becomes like taxing on energy and it's hard to keep up yeah definitely but yeah i thought that was really really important one to touch on and thank you for that question that came in okay uh the next question number three was more of a statement Mm. fatigued unmotivated plateaued and depressed would you suggest a training break i am too scared i would completely suggest a training break if you're feeling fatigued you think you've plateaued unmotivated depressed more so 
and me and Ben have spoke about this a lot recently is in terms of taking a deload week and a deload week is a week of training where you're still working out but the intensity and the volume of your workouts are far easier to manage but this person in particular you do sound like you actually need to take a step back from training and do have a week off working Mm. out whether it is at the gym or at home because you've said the words depressed as well and when you put fatigue and depression together you you are probably not in the best mindset and you're definitely running yourself into the ground taking rest days is so important having a break taking some time off not training seven days a week is something that I had to learn coming through an eating disorder because I was completely obsessed and wouldn't take a rest day And I'm telling you for a fact, you will not be able to progress. Your body will not be able to recover efficiently without those sufficient rest days. Like me and Ben both have two rest days a week and you need it. I honestly, I get to a Thursday and I'm like, oh, thank God it's a rest day today. I need to recover. I need to to energize myself again. I feel like I really need it. And then we have it again on a Sunday and it's, you know, you feel refreshed yeah it's only when you actually start taking them consistently you realize how much you need them because people say to me no way do you train five days a week you must you must train every isn't that you must train every day for like three hours i train five days a week for an hour and i will recover better feel better and in return look better because i'm having rest days i'm a rest day fan I think that, again, though, that's looking at things like the long-term and longevity of training rather than thinking, like, I need to get from A to B as quick, bo- quick as possible. What's the most efficient way for me to be able to to do that? And I think it's it's um, it's um one of those things with, again, looking at those diminishing returns and, like, what is optimal. A lot of people will often look at... I think it, it comes as well with magazines and looking, like, what professionals are doing and people think, right, have a look at what this person's doing who's getting great results. If I just use that same routine, I'll get the same result. And it's it doesn't work that way because a lot of these people you're looking at are potentially athletes who've been training for years. The training age is a lot different and they're recovering a hell of a lot quicker just due to different different things. But with deloads, there's different ways that we can take them as well if we're looking at that from a performance stance. And some ways that we can do it is that we can go in and we can do our normal routine and we'll do the same sets and reps but we'll just lower the load. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we can go in and lift the same load, either the same weight, and we can just pull back the volume and not do as many sets and reps. And then the third way is that we can just strip everything back and just kind of go with less weight and just focus on the movement and going through the movement patterns and ref- refining movement patterns. Obviously, the last way is that you can just completely take days off. Like, for example, for me, this week, I I trained Monday, and yeah. then I didn't really ch- train Tuesday, Wednesday because we were we were at school at uh, school. We were recording the new content for the school, and then I've had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off as well, which is for me just kind of the good thing is with deload it gives you that psychological break, but then it also helps your immune system, your central nervous system recover. It gives your joints some time to re- to recover as well, and gives them a bit of time off, and also just helps with restoring glycogen which helps with the energy levels when you go back into a new training cycle. So I know some people maybe listen to this and going back into the gym, but just important to incorporate maybe, especially if you're going back into the gym, where you're going to be particularly sore. There's no there's no kind of ways around that. You're going to be sore from the first week of scheduling and maybe a deload for when you do need it in the future. Yeah, I think as well, just one point to note on that statement is the I'm scared. So that kind of 
tells me that you you're not actually taking much rest at the moment yeah. if you're scared to do something and i always say to people if you're scared if you're fearful of something the best things always happen on the other side of fear you have to push through something to actually have the benefits i think for you personally whoever has asked this question just you know do take some time away from the environment of working out and then get yourself into a deload week and you will honestly feel absolutely fantastic yeah i think that's the other thing i was saying this is about on story when when it comes to fear any if you look at anything in the world like any sports um when it's weightlifting whatever it may be is that it's the people who perform best are the people who take breaks and i gave this example before when it came to formula one driving there's a reason why f1 cars take pit stops throughout the race it's because during those pit stops and in that rest period it's when they can um repair the car it's when the po- car can recover and they can get it back to its optimal performance. Are, they, are these the 0.2 second pit stops? Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's, when they take yeah. the pit stops is when they when they can kind of almost refuel the car. It's it's going into recovery. It's getting yeah. small repairs done. They're optimizing its performance. And that's the same. Just look, view it the same. When you're taking those rest days or when you're taking those deload weeks, that is essentially what you're doing. You're recovering the body, repairing the body so that it can perform optimally on those other days when you go, go back into the gym. I don't, do, I don't always like car analogies, but I think that's quite a good one. I just whipped up myself, if I do say so. It is, it's a great and car analogy. And I think if we look at it that way, that you're going to come out the other side of it a hell of a lot better and it's going to create a lot more longevity and sustainability whilst you're lifting, then it's, it's a vital, vital part. Mm-hmm, I agree. So, okay, moving on to the next question. New, I don't know what numero. You're on number four. I don't know why you say that in Spanish. I think we've got like so. six or seven today. I think this is How does, number What's number four? Is it cuatro? Uno, dos, tres... Quattro. Quattro. Okay. Number four then is this question, are food groups important important for getting lean or is it just calories and protein that matter? It's actually a very simple question. I feel like if your goal is fat loss, a focus on calories in versus calories out is important. You've got to pop yourself in a calorie deficit, simple as. And yes, to retain muscle tissue, you will might might lose a little bit of muscle tissue, you know, if you go into a deficit, but to retain that muscle tissue and what you already have, keeping your protein high is important. I wouldn't say completely disregard your carbs, your fats and your micronutrients because they are important. Like your carbs, you know, it's your main energy source. You kind of need to know you're getting a certain amount of your main energy source. And then you have your micronutrients. Are you getting enough veggies that contain your important vitamins and minerals that help prevent diseases as well as fiber, which can, you know, lower your cholesterol, help your bowel movements. So it's not completely disregard the others. It's just be more aware of the calorie number, if you've hit it, boom, done, tick, and the protein, but yeah. you can't completely disregard everything else. It's just not as significant. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things, and we can simplify things massively. And I'm an advocate of sometimes simple, simplifying things, but there is some some other minor things that come into it. But when we're looking at the broader umbrella, it is a case of calories inverse calories out when it yeah. comes to, especially when we're looking at at weight loss. Like we always know that that calorie is a king when it comes to getting lean. And if you focus on this even above your macro content, then that's what's help, going to help you drop essentially. And I think there was a study done. I think it was actually our good friend, Ben Carpenter, who actually put it up yesterday. And he was talking about, someone asked him a question about carbohydrates and do you need to cut carbohydrates out of your diet to lose weight? 
and saying that you, someone's saying you can't lose weight while you're having carbs. There's a guy that... You can't lose weight whilst having oh, carbs. No that joke. That is absolutely ridiculous. There was a guy who basically, I think he did a diet for a year. I can't find it on Ben's stories. It's gone off now. I oh, know he, he actually posted it. So there's a guy who ate nothing but potatoes for a full year. Just potatoes. Just, just potatoes for wow, a year. I mean, that's fucking boring. Like, And... He lost 117 pounds. That's the photo. Great. I'll get. I'll get. I assume he was in a calorie deficit for his year. Yeah, I'll get. Um, I'll get Cal to put this up on the screen. The the photo of the guy who lost 117 pounds by just eating potatoes, and and again, that's what it comes down to. Like at the end of the day, the macros aren't. He didn't have any protein and stuff. Oh, obviously, the protein that comes from from potatoes anyway, like a really small amount. But that kind of signifies that fact that. It's calories inverse calories out at the end yeah, of the day. And if you're in a deficit, you can eat whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. You could eat Mars bars. But the thing... McDonald's. <laughs> exactly. Well, th- that guy did the... That was a mad one. Yeah. But... It, for stuff like that, though, like, I always say to people, look, like, there isn't a good food or a bad food. But if you have seven Mackies a day, not great. If you have 20 bananas a day, also not great. It's everything in moderation. Yeah, any... You can apply that to anything, though. And people always water. ask it. Don't have too, too much, much water. Too much sleep. Bad for you, too many steps, potentially bad for you, too much yeah, training, yeah, yeah. bad for you, everything in moderation. But the thing to take into consideration has got to be when you when we're looking at macronutrients and the types of foods that we are choosing is one is going to be energy levels mm-hmm. because some foods will give a quick, sharp shunt of energy. Some will be slower digesting carbohydrates, which will give us prolonged energy over time. Some things will make us feel stodgy and bloated, which will make us have less energy. The, the big one is how you feel. How does certain foods make you feel? Like, you know, for example, after we just had Easter the other week, after you twatted in about 12 Easter eggs, how do you feel after that? I have so much energy. You just feel, do you? I feel stodgy. But do you I not feel, remember the next day this, in the session, I was literally so I wasn't. hyped. See, this is, again, it's people people will react different, very differently to foods. I felt very lethargic, very stodgy. Um, very watery I didn't I don't like the feeling after having it and I think that's what you've got to think about with foods as well is it's not just like fuel how does it actually make you feel mm-hmm. how is your energy that banoffee pie that when I yeah, had half yeah, of that exactly. banoffee pie I was like ill for a week how was your how was your poo I can't remember I wasn't really I asking how your poo was I don't think I actually did how your go, system? I did, don't think I could go at all Exactly. Not, I mean, the Tesco banoffee pie, it's not the one. You want Cal's homemade banoffee pie. That was fucking fantastic. And I think the other big one is like, how is your satiety from it? Because you can have some really calorically dense foods and not feel very full from them. However, you can get more volume out of some foods, like, like we know, where you're going to have, where you're going to be more full after them. And also like getting that balance between maybe you need to have some more sugary foods in your diet because they're more satiating. It's going to help your sustainability of food in the long run. And for you to not demonize foods. The other thing that I just want to touch on as well is this plays some importance, but please don't overhype this because it's very, very minimal effect because there is an effect that different macronutrients have when we look at the thermic effect of food. And it's been found that fat the the thermic effect of food from fat is around two to three percent carbs is about six to eight percent protein that's actually 25 to 30 percent so when we look at the thermic effect of food and why we often tell people to have more protein in a diet it's not just for recovery and for building muscle it's also because pre- protein is, is more satiating and more fulfilling to have as a macronutrient mm-hmm. as well so getting more protein in your diet is definitely going to help with satiation and keep you full 
this is sometimes why as well why low carb diets sometimes work for people and i wouldn't bash them all together yeah but i just for me like when are you gonna cut out crisps and chips for the rest of your life no or bread toast oh fucking bread and toast again there we go bagels (laughs) but that's why we've got to like look at where our protein intakes at sometimes because it can help you keep you full when you are dieting and that's why it's a really important thing when it comes to taking in consideration calories and macronutrients yep are we doing under three or under what the hell's that three or two three or two what more i don't know we'll just, we'll just crack on i'm just okay. quite enjoying these but um okay number number five then is Oh, I've lost number five, Ben. Get a grip on you. If maintenance calories are 2,500 and I burn an extra 300 calories, does that mean I have a 2,800 calorie window to play with? This is such a common question. And this is because I love my fitness pal. I do think it's great for a calorie tracker. Very exciting. Something going for the mic. I just up. But the one thing that it does do if you don't turn this feature off, it will add back on your calories. That's my fitness pal. That does that, sorry. Yeah, I said that. Through exercise. Now, we had this discussion before. So no, you don't add on those calories. They've already been accounted for. If you've worked out your calories correctly with a calorie calculator because you put in your activity level. So you say, I am this active. So your calories are worked out as that. An exception is if you do something absolutely like, you know, a bit out of the blue, a bit astronomical, go for like a 20k run, go for a hike, something you probably don't usually do where you'd expend probably an extra 1,500 calories or something like that. Yeah, you know, you can have some more food because that you've done like an extortionate amount of work that wasn't necessarily planned and it's not usually in your week. But if you just like go for an extra stroll or just do like an extra hit class that that that's where you don't need to add on your calories your calories have already been accounted for from what you've already worked out yeah then that's why i was i was speaking to someone else the other day and unless that influx in energy expenditure and that influx in amount that you're moving or exercising or you're doing an extra session per week unless it's consistent you don't need to factor in the extra food for it if it's just a one-off like we spoke about this before in the podcast, the amount that people overshoot calories by usually when the calorie count anyway, I think it was found on average from that research paper is about 20 to 25%. So if most people are underestimating calorie intake, you don't really need to overconsume any more food just because you've done a little bit more movement in one day. And this is the big bug with my fitness part. I still don't understand why they've never fixed it. Is that it will give you back your activity calories to eat, which will take you out of your deficit or over maintenance and into a surplus. And I think that's the easiest way that we can look at it. The, the other thing, like Lucy said, when it comes to calorie calculators is that they can be oversimplistic. Mm. The They're fact, not 100%, are they? No, no. The fact is that influence energy expenditure or, or like don't fully take in human behavior and what we have to do, the amount of fidgeting and stuff in the day and like the vast things that go on like... In, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had, to, had to yawn. Am I boring you? Mike, no. <laughs> But the, it doesn't it doesn't take in like a normal needs as well. A calorie calculator may tell you what it does, but it doesn't like massively tell you how it does it as well. And I think it's the thing to bear in mind that the the all simplified versions of like our lives. So even with the micro school calorie calculator, it'll give you a rough baseline. However, there might be like some discrepancies when it comes to things, and you can obviously 
see how those calories are working for you based on you taking daily weigh-ins or weekly weigh-ins and see if your weight's coming down, if you are sticking into, into adhering to that number. Then if you're dropping too quickly, we just move the numbers up a little bit. If we're not dropping down enough, you just move the numbers down a little mm-hmm. bit. And that's exactly how you, you can work with it. I think it's a really simple one, that one. Yeah. Okay, next question is, how do you know when it's time to up or reduce your calories? Again, this is a really straightforward question that I think people overcomplicate. So you know if you need to up your calories if you're super fatigued, if you've been in a calorie deficit for a long time, and probably you've hit a plateau on both aspects. You'll know you need to up or reduce your calories if you've hit some sort of plateau. Now, the big one for me is if you've been in a calorie deficit for a long time and you've been in a fat loss phase, you will know yourself if you do need to up those calories. And if you either need a diet break, you need to go back up to maintenance, you need to reassess the calories. If you've hit a plateau, if you're really fatigued, if you're just hating life and you're just thinking, I absolutely hate this, you've got to up them. You've got to grab them by the, the balls <laughs> and up your calories. How have you never grabbed me by the balls like that, by the way? No, sorry, it's a really hard. Whose balls grip. are you grabbing there, by the way? Because they are like King Kong balls, then. Is that... What? what? <laughs> you grabbing a set of peas there now? What are you doing? This is how you cut balls. You would make no. a terrible nurse, you know, if you had to... And then... You know, thing right there, you know where they do that thing where they grab some of the balls and, like, cough? Why are you grabbing two pairs of balls? I don't know. What are you doing, Pornhub or, or, or checking someone's balls? Hey. I was just giving a dick... A depiction. <laughs> dick? You're giving a dick? Your mind's completely wondering off. on the YouTube channel. So what are you holding now? channel. Your head is going to be squished. (laughs) No. So in terms of reducing your calories, you'll know if you've been like at maintenance or you've been in a surplus building muscle or you've hit a plateau again and you want to come out of a muscle building phase. It's very goal dependent whether you do want to go down or you do want to go up. I can't stop thinking about balls. I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) You can can go for a bit now. But it is both sides of the spectrum. I'm going to put my hands down. (laughs) Both sides of the spectrum, it's if you've hit a plateau or if you're in a deficit and you're massively fatigued, you do need to come out of it. 100%, yeah. No joke though, talking about balls. One thing that can happen from like really low calorie deficit, especially with lack of sleep which can sometimes be a byproduct of it is that males can sometimes see a decrease in testosterone levels i um some it's been i think it was measured that it was in that uh, matt waters book which you've got to take with a pinch of salt which is why we sleep is that some males balls were 10 times smaller due to lack of sleep through the lower testosterone levels wow. yeah so. does that i wonder i'd do some research into this after the podcast but i wonder if being in a calorie deficit for such a long period of time say for example for a girl and a guy if it affects your fertility so yeah, well, if it if it if it lowers a male's testosterone, it obviously has a an impact on on female menstruation because it affects the, yeah, the menstrual cycle. Your, so it does affect your hormones. So it's, it's going to affect have a, a certain effect on fertility as well. Google after the uh, to get more info. Yeah. On that. Um. But yeah, I, I agree with what you said there. I think the other important note is that what a lot of people don't do is if you don't track closely enough your goals, a lot of people I think will hit their goals of how lean they originally want to be. And then just forget to bring the calories, not forget to bring the calories back up. They'll they'll just be like, carry on with the current program that they're doing because they've got no real end point. Or they'll then go, okay, um, I just want to be leaner. Mm-hmm. And even though they've hit the goal, they'll just keep pushing the boundaries. And that's where people become dangerous by being in the deficit for too long. And just keep pushing the boundaries, keep pushing the boundaries until something snaps. And then we're looking at like disorderly in, or we're looking at these kind of metabolic damages or pain with hormones or performance 
which is going to deteriorate. So it's important that we kind of track stuff and we know that we, when we've hit a goal, it's there. The other thing, like we just said, which is important is having deloads and stuff as well is going to be really important when we're looking at um, calories and where those calories need need to be. So there's a, there's a couple of things to consider. Again, where's performance at? Is your performance starting to deteriorate? Is your lifts going down? Because you maybe yeah. need to take a, um, a diet break. Do Are you suffering psychologically? Like food's just becoming boring. You hate your diet. I mean... Brain fog. Brain fog, yeah. Memory loss. Why are you squeezing the balls again? I just... Brain fog. Brain fog, so you're squeezing balls. No, I was squeezing my brain there. Okay. Fog. <laughs> squeezing the fuck out the brain. <laughs> and these are all factors to take into consideration if you are looking at potentially upping your calories or even reducing your calories. So, for example, if you've hit a plateau with weight loss, it may be a point where I'll either take a diet break, take a bit of time off, and then I'll come reduce the calories from there. Um, or you need, may need to be a bit more aggressive with calories because you ha- you're not losing weight. And because we've had these metabolic changes, i.e. you are now lighter, so oh, and you're more efficient at moving and with exercise, you're not expending as much, we need to then lower what your before calorie maintenance or calorie deficit may have been. So they're all factors of why potentially we may drop calories slightly. Yeah. Okay, we're going to make this the final question. This is an interesting one because I saw this all over social media this week and I think a lot of people may have done as well. Did you see the personal trainer who bad-mouthed his client for eating bad foods? So I've, I've not seen this. I'm unsure. I, I don't know how I've even missed that. I've probably just not been on my socials as much. But that is awful. Mm-hmm. Even the fact that I like... I think he was dropping a client because of it. I think it was the, so, the main issue people so had. So Dave dropped some, somebody for eating, inverted commas, bad food. Yeah. Absolutely makes no sense. What... Okay, so if you're a personal trainer listening, that is possibly the worst thing you could do to your client to drop them, to shout at them, to badmouth them that they had some inverted commas, bad food. That it would yeah. create such a poor psychological relationship for that client now. I hope the freaking client's okay. I know. I'm, I'm going to find the client and message them and just say, you okay? I think the thing is, is that the, the most important thing when it comes to having a coach or a PT or whatever it is that, the relationship is the most is one of them. It's probably the most important thing, and if you can't have a relationship with you with your coach where you can be honest, then people are going to start lying about stuff. And the other thing is that I've seen this before, and it definitely does happen. Some coaches and PTs will give a really, 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 really restricted diet plan to people on meal plan, where it's just completely undoable to start with, and then wonder why the client is going off and eating other stuff because it's over restrictive yeah. in the first place. So is that really the client's fault? No, it is a fuck. It's because they've been given a, a garbage program to start with or garbage calories and macros. And it's this kind of shit I just thought was, was way dated and we were past this point with, with coaches and stuff as well, but quite clearly not. I mean, I didn't I didn't see the full thing of it, but I've, for example, I remember um, Cal was telling me about a story with, I think it was a client who went, um, someone who went out on a night out and they were drinking. And the, the guy messaged him like, oh, have you been drinking, mate, blah, blah, blah. Because you're seeing it on a story of them drinking. So fucking what? Yeah, literally. What, are people not supposed to have a life? But this is the thing. It's not about completely taking things out of people's diet. It's just reducing as and where people need it to be reduced. Like we, the exact conversation we had before. You're not going to have, you're not going to drink 10 litres of water a day because it, that's not healthy. 10 litres of water a day, you drown yourself. 
Just like you're not going to have 30 bananas or 60 Mars bars. It's everything in moderation. Yeah, and sometimes, especially like we've just been through Easter, sometimes you are going to sit on the social side of health and fitness. That doesn't mean all the time. It just means every now and again. And this just, I push this to clients all the time. That's important that you can sort of indulge in some of these social events because they're almost mm-hmm. tests for some people and it helps you better your relationship with food knowing that you're allowed to do that that it's okay and that a, a small kind of like afternoon or day or whatever having some extra food is not going to skew results at all if anything it's going to better them because you then aren't fearing food you then aren't creating these barriers and restrictions that cause long-term relationships with food to be poor it's creating a an acceptance with them, which is what most people need. Because what the fuck do people do? They go for like a twelve week journey, and it's okay. I actually don't know what I'm doing now. And I see this with with a lot of coaching personal trainers a lot, where they're over restrictive for like these four week challenges, and I, and a lot of them at the end me, and I'm not I'm not putting any names out here because there's coaching PTs I know who do this, and I've been sent the programs before. I'm not calling names out, but a lot of them will finish these four week plans and programs. And I've had the, the, the DMs from the clients of the same person who are absolutely in bits. Their relationship with food is terrible. They're, they're terrified of eating past a certain calorie intake. And they've been running the ground from doing two hit workouts a day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the coach got a great transformation from it. Woo, fucking well done. But you don't give a shit about that person. You've just left, it, left in the absolute gutter. Honestly. Who's then going to be left to pick up the pieces? They're the, they're the things that annoy me even more when it comes to people trying to find a good PT or a good coach. I think when you you are trying to find a good coach or like a fitness app or something to sign up to, have a look if they have any transformations that are over like twelve weeks. That is a massive telling point. We have loads on the school Every that year, are one eight year. Eight months. We're not scared to say. we It's like other people are scared to say this took a year. Yeah, yeah that is absolutely. People's fantastic. journeys are not four to twelve weeks. They are much longer than that, and people need to realise that. I think that's a big thing that we drove home. Also, if you want to know anything about a coach, ask clients that they've worked with. They'll usually give you quite an honest answer. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite a, a nice way to leave yeah. that one. Because just again, subtle plug. We're just about to jump off onto an app meeting, which is hey. mega cool. Wrapping up some of the final stuff for the app, and. We'll be releasing more about that soon. But again, thank you for everyone who's been listening. The challenge for the eight week. Yeah, the Batch the Gym 2.0 challenge, challenge. Is now open. Is open for enrollment. So make sure you get yourself enrolled. Join the My Coach School. Hit challenges. Tell us your goals. What do you want to achieve? Boom, boom, boom. Jump get in our Facebook group ready. where there's thousands of people getting ready for it because it's such a great part of the school. Uh, the links will again be in the show notes and on the YouTube channel for you to click on. The podcast giveaway will be running until the end of April. So if you want to get involved in that, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and leave a comment. Also, please continue to leave reviews on iTunes, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And also, we'd love to see when you guys are out and about walking, getting your 10K steps in and tagging us on your stories on Instagram. And we'll always try and get back to you where we can. Yeah. So as always, guys, thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you in next week's episode. Bye, guys. Bye.